step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height in the hat, put it all in the hat. Avram Rosenzweig began public speaking when he was five years old. Over the last five decades, Avram has mastered the art of public speaking. Today, Avram is a professional speechwriter and speech coach. He offers a wide selection of services that can assist you in preparing for public speaking events, speeches for family or professional occasions, a keynote, a memorial, or a simple toast. Avram can also coach you through articulation and presentation challenges. For all your speech writing needs, send Avram an email at info at hatradio.ca. That's info at hatradio.ca. Hello and welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig. This is episode 26 and I'm deeply honored to have as my guest, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Aaron Lightstone. Hello. How are you, Aaron? Oh, great. It's a pleasure to be here with you. No, thank you. Been looking forward to this. Honored to be with you, my friend. I, I, and Aaron is a composer. He's a multi-instrumentalist, a psychotherapist, music therapist. He's an educator. And he's a freaking good guy. That's what I wrote oh, here. Freaking good guy. Thank you. You're welcome. Coming from you, you know, that's, that's good. Who's doing a lot to repair the world. I try. So today, there's a three things that I want to cover. Number one is, do you still have that huge fingernail, the little one? Uh, thumbnail. Yeah, keep, yeah, you have long. that? And I keep my right hand fingernails a little bit long for the... Right, right. I, I've always noticed the guitar. that. Guitar. Yeah, it's pretty know. cool. Yeah, yeah, you've had that for years, right? For years. Long yeah. as Does it get remember. caught on things? Sometimes. Sometimes it gets caught on stuff and it breaks. <laughs> if, yeah, if I if I let it grow a little too long. They don't need to be as long as people tend to think. And then you sort of let them go just a little too long and then they start to catch on stuff. And, and then, yeah. then do you go, oh shit, my nail broke? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that must be catchy in certain crowds. I want to cover your experience playing music for the dying. I want to talk okay. about that. Yeah, that completely blows me away. Our listeners are going to be really taken by that. I know it. And I want to talk about what you have done uh, in terms of bringing together individuals with physical challenges and literally creating a band mm -hmm. with them. I, you know, I say this with all sincerity. I've known you for a long time. Yeah, it's a long time now. It's been, it must be 20, 25 years now. Uh, I think we met at my cousin's bat mitzvah naomi's bat mitzvah okay so which would have been 96 i know because i still have the mug in my kitchen right and then we actually did some work together you and i we right? did i was one of the earliest not the earliest but i was among the earliest hires at verhafta yes. in i think i worked there i think it must have been either 99 or 2000 till 2002 ish right and early on what was so exciting about working with you as it would be today is that we got a grant from somebody an individual whose husband mm -hmm. passed away I remember she that. was very much i think into classical music 
Was that right? I that I don't remember. You knew her. I didn't actually ever yeah, meet yeah. her. So she gave us some cash, not a lot. Yeah. And we gave you the cash. That's right. And I bought instruments for uh, Nami Res to start a music therapy program there for for the residents of of Nami Res. And Nami yep. Res, we spoke to the CEO at the time, Greg Rogers. Oh yeah, he was last here. Week. He was on your last episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was a shelter predominantly for uh, Native individuals. And you basically went in and worked with these people. And by the time you were finished kind of teaching them how to play something, they actually recorded a CD, each one of them, right? No, that you're mixing up. That's something else. Is that something else? Yeah. Yeah. So there were there was two things. The Nami Res thing was a drop-in weekly group music therapy session. So it was very process-oriented. There was no uh, product that we were aiming for. Oh, but I think what maybe what you're thinking of, yeah. I think I know what you're thinking of. Somewhere along the way, Nami Res branched out and started the Tamivut Youth Shelter. Correct. correct. Right next door. Yes. And I started doing sessions there as well. And in the Tamivut, in the youth shelter, uh, it became apparent to me that a, a different approach was, was needed uh, because there was a lot more sort of interest and need for hip hop and other forms of popular music. Right, right. So I kind of cobbled together a very makeshift portable recording rig and we would improvise That's and it. record uh, popular music sort of riffs on popular music, a lot, a lot of hip hop. This actually became the basis of my master's thesis when yes. I was at Wilfrid Laurier University doing a master's degree in music therapy. And it, in, that was in 2004. 2011, I was, or somewhere around there, 2011, I was invited by a music therapy professor in the United States, uh, Susan Hadley, to recraft several, a uh, couple chapters of that master's thesis. Right into book chapters for a book called Therapeutic Uses of Rap and Hip Hop, which was at the time uh, the first and long, long overdue textbook for music therapists on how to use rap and hip hop in their clinical practice. It was, that's a whole, that's a whole other story. It's like, why is that you such know, a... You know, you were an anomaly to me because I had nev never met anybody who had done or was doing what you were doing. And I think you were kind of new to a new field. Would that be correct? Music therapy. Well, at that time I was new. Yeah. And it was, it was, it's still new ish. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a paradox because on one level, music therapy has been around, uh, for as long as there's been recorded history. Yes. I mean, the, the, all of the ancient Greek philosophers talked about the, the healing properties of, of music and the role of music in wellness it wasn't... Well, how far back does that go? Oh, we're talking like, you know, Plato, Socrates, uh, Aristotle. What did they say? Pythagoras. What did they say? Can't, I'm not an expert on exactly what they said, but, you know, they but they all wrote about how music is one of the, you know, sort of main disciplines of inquiry, yes. along with, uh, you know, uh, astronomy and geometry and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and they somehow, way back then... They recognize the healing power of music, uh, and in our in and in, in also in the Jewish tradition around the same time, about five hundred years later, we have the Book of Samuel, and there is a depiction in the Book of Samuel is we have the story of of young David the harpist. And yeah. It's very explicit, yeah. you know, soothing some kind of mental anguish suffered by King Saul. Correct. I did a presentation about this at at Limud. I was t retelling that story 
through the lens of modern uh, neuroscience. Where Limud I, being a Hebrew, a, just sort of a Jewish, a Jewish study conference here yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, Jewish Learning Festival. Mm, yeah. uh, the Toronto branch, it happens all over the world. Mm-hmm. But I was sort of speculating that what what's described in the book of Samuel in terms of what King Saul is suffering from, it's 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 not, I don't think a stretch at all to say it was some mental illness that was probably post-traumatic stress disorder when we look at the, the life that he led and the lifestyle that he had and the type of warrior that he is yeah, described a, a perilous lifestyle yes yeah and uh we know that the 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 brain we know from modern neuroscience that the brain circuits that are compromised or uh, affected or uh, impaired by by traumatic experience are some of the same brain circuits that are strengthened by positive experiences in music. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the sort of neurobiological bases of, of music therapy. And, and um, all, all to say, so it's, so it's a very old profession on one hand, because we have these stories of David and Pythagoras, um, but it's also a very new profession. It didn't become a modern profession you know uh, you know when we say the word mm-hmm. profession we mm-hmm. know what we mean until world war uh, world war ii when it was noticed in veterans and soldiers hospitals that, oh. that having musicians at the at the bedside seemed to alleviate uh some of the symptoms of what we then called shell shock now we call post-traumatic stress disorder so, so i i pulled up something from the internet mm-hmm. my query was what are the what are the to give 10 things that music will help fix let's say okay so here are just a few of them in light of what you just said okay improves mood 100 percent. and you always smile man you smile you smile a lot i noticed that (laughs) in your videos you always laugh too i love that uh reduces stress Are, are you stressed out at all we all have stress yeah yeah. but But are you uh, like a stressed out person sometimes i have stress but but you know music uh definitely makes it better and maybe i'm not at my best when when it's been a day or two days or three days where I haven't had a time to play music for my, uh, yeah, for myself. Need, yeah. You need your you release know. for sure. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, not immune. Lessons anxiety improves exercise. That's an interesting piece. Oh yeah. Yeah. Improves memory, eases pain. So in studies of patients recovering from surgery, mm-hmm. those who listen to music before, during, or after surgery had less pain and more overall satisfaction compared with patients who did not listen to music as part of their care. Yeah, music that they like. That's very important. Yeah, no, no. Individual preference is a, is a key uh, component in those kind of studies. Right. Yeah. So let, let's segue this into an area which I said we talk about. And I've been thinking about this since you agreed to do the show. For some reason, when it comes to your career, which I'm really fascinated by, and I think I've watched most of it, and being involved to some extent mm-hmm. yeah, in it. Have, yeah. yeah, yeah, which I'm excited about. Um, the thing that really takes me, Aaron Lightstone, father of two. <laughs> Need to throw that in somewhere, you know. And he's a father of two. Um, is that you play music for people who are dying. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still do that? Not, not nearly as much as I used to. So there was a period of time uh, in my career between 2008 and 2012 where I covered uh, four, just worked out really well, uh, four consecutive mat leaves for the music therapists. There's six of them at the Sunnybrook Veterans Center. Yes. And my time there was divided between um, veterans care. It's a, it's a very, very interesting facility there. Time was divided between veteran the veterans care unit, which is 
500 ish beds exclusively for people who served overseas in World War II or the or the Korean War. And housed in that same building is the also the community palliative care unit. And my time was divided between the, the two areas. Okay. And so in community palliative care, that is uh of course, a place where prim- mostly, not but not only, uh, mostly uh, people with terminal cancer um, end up spending the last days, weeks, or sometimes months of, of their lives. Palliative care, of course, is the form of medicine where, where medical science considers the individual person to be beyond uh, a cure, beyond treatment. And every effort, every medical effort is dedicated to... to Keeping the person as comfortable as possible. We had Doctor Sandy Buckman, yeah, who I, who I, palliative care doctor, yeah, who yep. I've worked with, and so he would have explained this. I, he did explain this. I heard that episode; it was great. Thank you. Um, and so, and when we talk about patient comfort for people who are actively dying, uh, of course, it's it's not only it's very explicitly not only physical comfort. We're looking at mental and emotional comfort. We're looking at spiritual comfort we're looking at existential comfort we're looking at just making that very difficult situation uh easier in any way that we can and that includes uh, the patient and their family however they define that so so, so let, walk me through this so your your seniors your the authorities who are in charge of what happens in that department they get in touch with you say they say uh, mr mcdonald uh, doesn't have much time to live so you do what well, it depends on how much how t- how much time there is. Um, every palliative care unit that I've that I'm aware of has different admission criteria. Yeah. So, for example, if I'm correct, at Baycrest, for example, somebody with a one year prognosis is eligible for their palliative care unit. Whereas Sunnybrook, it's three months, and some hospices are only a few days or a couple a couple of weeks. Okay, so. At Sunnybrook, because it's months, there's there's a wide range of uh, degrees of of wellness in in the patients there. You know, some of them are truly facing death very very imminently, and but many of them come in. They're 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 quite ill, but they're relatively comfortable. They're right. walking, they're talking, uh, and then they go on their journey and their 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 decline. So. As much as is possible, we're looking at comforting people through active participation in music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so as much as possible, the music is live, performed by or with the music therapist. And active might be actually singing and, and, and playing along. Particularly, I found when there's a an active religious tradition involved, people tend, if people are at all religious, they tend to get a tremendous amount of comfort out of singing their the, their religious music. So you'll learn their music within reason, and within reason just means within the scope of my ability. Um, you know, the, the the further away it gets from English and uh, <laughs> and you know Western music or or non Western music that I'm familiar with, the harder the harder it gets. But yeah, you know, I I, I and I actually really like. 
singing several of the of the old you know christian hymn standards like uh, amazing grace amazing grace how great thou art what a friend we have in jesus uh, the old rugged cross i love Good those jewish boy i love, I love those two. i love those two does anybody ever comment on that aren't you no, jewish be, yeah. no because in that context it's like what the patient needs and yeah of course i'm, I'm lucky because i actually like those tunes uh, they're actually some of them are I, real I, beautiful I love tunes. silent night silent night's a particularly Be- beautiful song beautiful yeah. melody um yeah so you know it's for for, for me it's um i think there was early early on very early on in my career when i was like really fresh out of school i felt there was discomfort i did have i remember mm-hmm. around singing that type of music at, at a certain point maybe it was when i was working in palliative care um that faded away because i recognized the 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 beauty of the, some of those melodies yes, yes. And i recognized the that i enjoyed the aesthetic of that old time kind of country gospel music yeah of course and uh and the patient's needs superseded any uh slight discomfort that i may have had with that 100 percent. and in our day and age the challenges that you and i our parents or grandparents may have had from christianity when they were growing up there was a certain disdain mm-hmm. that we had because of the difficulties we went through because of the church um, those have dissipated as an example i have a friend who unfortunately has a lot of uh, physical challenges. He's not well. Uh, I wish him well. And for Christmas, I bought him um, a cross with Jesus on it, the mm-hmm. crucifix. And I was delighted that I was able to do that for him. And every night he gets down on his knees and he prays to God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and I think that's okay, particularly in our time, you know. Yeah, yeah. Have you sung, uh, uh, let's say, music to a Muslim individual who's passing? Yeah. Uh, Yes, but it was improvised, uh, more instrumental music. But I have a cl- uh, a client I'm working with now, uh, who uh, where where Hindu religious music is is a very very important part of of the music therapy uh, treatment. And you know some of the music? Um, no, this person's a singer, and. Um, and it's a, this is a brain injury case. I'm just going to speak as vaguely as possible to yeah. protect pa- patient privacy. But mm-hmm. um, it's a case of, of, of a brain injury, and we're doing uh, brain injury rehabilitation through music. And, and uh, Hindu devotional music is a very important part, has always been a very important part of this person's life. So my role in that situation, uh, I've learned a couple of very simple uh, kirtans, which are like repetitive mantras to be able to sing with this individual. Can you sing me one of them? Um, I should be able to because I was just there today. Um, <laughs> Let's hear it. Oh, wow. I feel like I need her cue. Uh, Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. It's very repetitive. Uh, Kirtan is is a repetitive form where there's like typically like a call and answer yes and it's very repetitive as opposed to uh bhajans which would be more equivalent to like when we have like a like a, a full page of like an ashray in the in the in the sidur which, which is, is a jewish prayer which a jewish prayer with lots of words and yeah. uh can be quite inaccessible to people that that don't uh read or or speak hebrew very well 
so, so the kirtans. But what's interesting about working with this person is that as we go through it, and as we listen to recordings of other other folks, the the more complicated music is starting to um, come back to this person. So the 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 memory impairment as a result of a brain injury seems to become uh, lessened or less significant in the context of of the music making. So you'll see a rehabil- uh, rehabilitative aspect to what you're doing. Very much so. But you'll so, see the person strengthening. Yes, very much so, and strengthening in in several different domains. So I've you know one of the interesting things about using music in neuro re- neuro rehabilitation, which is quite different from comforting people as they're dying, mm-hmm. is is we're very actively seeking functional non-musical improvement in their speech and language skills in their memory skills in their sensory motor skills and or many other aspects of their cognitive skills such as their exec- executive functioning auditory and visual processing uh, i said memory um uh attention all, and all the different aspects of attention right, right? attention right. is not just can somebody pay attention but can they shift their attention quickly between different stimuli? Can they filter out uh, irrelevant stimuli like the background noise from the street or the background conversation in a restaurant? Yes. A brain injured person might have great difficulty uh, separating the conversation that they're having from from the background noise. That's a, that's an attention problem. The very nature of music and the way that music recruits uh, brain function from all these other different areas Mm -hmm. means that music is a very, very effective uh, tool and activity in a rehabilitation uh, context. Um, Do you know why that is? Do I know why that is? Do we know why? Well, we're, we're learning more and more. There's still a lot that's unknown, but in the last 20 years or so as neuroscience has grown and progressed in leaps and bounds, particularly because of the uh, technological growth of, of and and resolution of brain imaging technology. Mm-hmm. We're we're learning more and more. So one of the things we we understand better than we used to, for example, is that excuse me, <coughs> is that a lot of the rhythmic information in music, for example, is processed in the primary motor cortex. The part of the brain that controls gross motor movements that have a rhythmic component to them, like walking, right? Mm -hmm. And we can see, there's lots of studies to show this, that if a person's gait is impaired because of Parkinson's disease or a brain injury or uh, a stroke, that the application of an auditory rhythmic stimulus to that person's brain while they're doing their physiotherapy exercises to gait retraining has a corrective effect on them on the primary motor cortex and greatly accelerates that rehabilitative well, process. It's I like guess in, magic. Si- in simple terms, yeah. is when you're playing music, yeah, and the guy's walking along and he's trying to strengthen his, like you say, his walking. Yeah, the two come together and they work to strengthen him. Yeah, that's fascinating. Also, stuff. because you know when there's a brain injury or a neurologic disease, what's happening is there's damage or there's deterioration of the connective tissue that allows the different brain regions to communicate with each other, or Mm -hmm. there's damage to the individual brain regions themselves. But unlike many other activities that humans do, 
where there's a specific part of the brain that's responsible for it, right? Like the amygdala is the part of the brain that mostly is responsible for our emotional experience. Yes. And Wernicke's area and Broca's area are largely responsible for the reception and production of speech. And if those areas are damaged, we lose that, that ability, right? There isn't a music center in the brain. Music is a very, very globally distributed uh, ability around many, many different brain regions. And when we engage in some kind of musical process, we're recruiting function from all those different brain injuries and we're forcing them into communication, even if the connective tissue is damaged. We can call, you know, new connective tissue can right, be Right, right. So built. I was reading a little while back that music affects every aspect or most aspects of the brain. That's right. Which is what you're saying. Yeah, well, think about it. You play guitar. So think about a time when you recently tried to learn a new lick or a new a new song, right? Mm-hmm. So think about think about even if it's an easy thing, you're learning an easy song or an easy lick. Um, think about how really, if we use a computer analogy, like how much processing power your brain is actually using to to do that. You might be watching another musician do it either live or on YouTube or something. So your visual system is engaged and it's connecting with your auditory system because you're hearing, you're hearing the thing. So your visual system and your auditory system are getting in sync. Then you're, you got to remember it, right? You got to remember how does it sound? You got to remember the physical movements to produce it. So that your memory system is engaged. You might get an emotional response to hearing somebody else play that lick or yourself learning it where you get a, a jolt of, of, of joy or motivation or sort whatever of a buzz it was, off it, some right? kind of buzz. So now you're, you're amygdala, the emotional part of your brain is, is, is engaged. And then there's the whole motor skills and fine motor skills. What about and, smell when it comes and, to music? Anyway? Well, you know, I, I have, uh, I got a Rosewood classical guitar that has a very, very particular smell when, that, you, when you open up the case. Yeah. Yeah. It smells like my, uh, my, uh, university, uh, guitar lesson, guitar, classical guitar it, study. It, it's kind of interesting, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, both you and I love guitars. So yeah. when you'll, when you'll go into a guitar store and they'll show you the vintage stuff mm-hmm. and you'll see a Gibson from like 1930, yeah, that's it special. does have a particular smell to it. Yep. A very old smell. Mm-hmm. And that smell sort of conjures up images in your head as to who's the one who played the licks who on this thing. played right? it? What what energy is imbued in exactly. that guitar? And, and yeah, there's something special about those old instruments. So I just want to I, I just want to sort of uh, uh, move this in a different yep. way. So you're, you're in the hospital room and I'm really interested in the beginning here. And the person in front of you is very, very bad, mm-hmm. bad off. They're they're dying. I mean, they're very close to death. So, firstly, what happened in your head? Like, were, were you scared? Were you nervous? What was your response to what you were seeing? Well, even before that, I had a lot of uh, when the job was first offered to me. I had a, I had quite a bit of trepidation yeah. about even accepting it. I, 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 I had you know already a significant amount of experience as a music therapist, but I hadn't yet worked um in that kind of context and i did a lot of thinking and was quite nervous about taking taking the job in the end though i found it very impactful very enjoyable ironically and and very meaningful because it was very very meaningful it it really really forces a person into the here and now when you're when you're spending your working days around people who are 
dying. Yes, of course. Right. This really pulls this, you know, we talk about mindfulness meditation and being in the moment and, 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 and being in the here and now it's, uh, in some ways it's, it's, it's not that hard to do when you're around that kind of situation all the time. You're not daydreaming about <laughs> somebody else, right? Well, you still might be. I mean, there's still, you know, you're doing it all the time. So it still has an element of daily grind to it, especially like, you know, the, the, the paperwork. But this aside, I, I really want to get back to this moment. So you're in the room yeah. with, think about an experience that yeah. you had. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So a couple things. So sometimes, okay, I can think of a couple stories. So Mo- it's hard to remember like a very first moment, but, but there's, there's definitely like a trepidation and a need to take a few moments or a few breaths uh, to, to become grounded yeah. and, and centered before going into this, because it's a very emotionally loaded uh, moment. Of course, it's, of course, it's difficult for everybody involved and usually not always, but usually there's close uh, family members and loved ones around and they're definitely part of this process. If it's somebody that I met earlier in their disease trajectory and I know them a little bit, then I have a, I have a sense of who they are and what kind of music they might want to hear and what is effective. And if, if I, if I don't, and there were situations where I would just be pulled into somebody's you know, the moments right before somebody's last breaths, there would be family members that I could ask or there might be, uh, or just my own intuition. And if I didn't have a lot to go on, I, I tended to stay away from pre-composed music. I would improvise, uh, music that was vague and hopefully soothing. And my experience tells me most people find it this type of improvisation that I did soothing, most of the time. Um, and there was one, I can think of one example that was very powerful where I was doing music therapy with, with a guy and, um, I stepped out of the room and in the next room was somebody who was very imminently, uh, also very ill, very ill, very close to the very final breaths. And I believe it was his wife who came out and asked me to come in. And I think if I remember correctly, I I hadn't met them yet or I'd only met them once, once prior. Didn't really know this family, but the whole family was gathered around, including the family dog and including the, their neighbor who was also their, their minister. There was a, it was a religious family. Wow. And which is daunting. Yes. Yeah, it was daunting. And the, but they but they specifically invited me and they they were aware of the work I was doing on the floor yeah. and they wanted me to be part of this. And this really looked like when I walked in there, it looked like any any breath that he was taking could have been his last one. And what was very special about that experience was that last every breath could have been his last one that went on for about an hour and a half or or, or two hours. And I was invited in. I was improvising music. The calming music that I was improvising seemed to bring the anxiety level down for for everybody involved. And although no words w- were spoken, there was some really effective and interesting communication through eye contact happening um, between myself and the 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 clergy person their their neighbor slash friend slash minister he would put his every once in a while he would sort of lean over and put his hands on the patient's feet 
and and said some words of comfort and and uh, a, a prayer uh, for for him, and that gave me a cue to sort of pull back on the music, mm. really, really reduce the density and the volume of the music. So you guys were kind of gigging together. We were gigging together. We were jamming. That is cool. You know, and wow. and and also and you should say in these kind of situations we're also kind of jamming with the patient too yes. because yes. because my eyes are and ears are fixed uh on the patient's uh breath and breathing in in those moments because even in those final moments when somebody's really imminently dying, we're still trying to make the the make the music therapy about an interaction, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So the the patient's breath is informing my tempo and my my rhythm and the density of notes that I'm playing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. So this this feeling that any breath could have been his last breath went on for an hour or two, and and we had this back and forth, uh, you know, between my my calming music and the minister's uh, words. And whatever the time was, an hour and a half or two hours, uh, he did eventually take his last breath. And that was, a, that was a very, very powerful experience to actually have a palliative care music therapy session, which there were many, uh, where the patient actually took their last breath during, there. during the session. There weren't so many of, of those. Um, and and there's, it's, a very, it's very difficult to describe, but it's a very... Uh, charged moment and there's something very deeply um spiritual about that moment when when we are with somebody who's taking their last breath and if it's somebody who's your patient rather than someone who's your family member you can it's still very charged but you have you know you have a a little more uh distance and objectivity uh about them about the moment but it's still it's very powerful and i i remember feeling just completely uh spent and exhausted oh you must have that was i was gonna ask that you must uh, have yeah because that that focus and and helping to hold that space and that that energy is a that's a uh, you know, from the outside, it doesn't look like much, but it, but it is, it's, there's a lot. Did you cry? Going on there. That I don't remember if I did or not. I do remember feeling exhausted and telling my boss that I was done for the day. Like there was, like there was no point in yeah, me and, and trying then, to see another patient and, and, then, and offering them something useful. And, and then what happens when you go home? I, honestly, it was, this is now like 10 years ago, so it's hard for me to, to remember, but there was only a couple of times when somebody actually took their last breath in yeah in in an actual session um i just i must have been just exhausted okay aaron do me a favor what i'd like you to do is uh, if you can go grab your guitar um and and i'd love to hear the music that you actually played in the hospital room so you got your guitar go go ahead play play it for us all right so it's improvised but it's something along the lines of okay
beautiful. Thank you. Just bring the bring the mic up there. Yeah. So well, why like, do you uh, why do you choose that? Why do you that progression? Why do you choose those so, notes or those chords? So. What what I'm what I'm going for here? There's a whole idea about it, and I've, I've written an article uh, about this exact technique for a, a music therapy textbook uh, called "Composition and Improvisation Resources for yeah. Music Therapists" by a former uh, professor and mentor of mine, Dr. Colin Lee, edited this book. So it stems from my interest and in former studies in Indian classical music, where I played the sitar. And one of the things that that's very common to many many different forms of of non-Western music is is the drone, mm-hmm. right? Where we don't have harmonic functional harmonic chord changes like we do in Western music. Yeah, show us. So, and in Indian music, you have a, a tanpura, which is an instrument that sits beside the main instrument and just does this throughout the whole performance, right? Have you done that in a, in a performance? I have, yes. Yeah. Is it interesting or what? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's a it's a bit of a trip. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I try to set that as like the foundation as as the bed, and then there's uh, in Indian music, and you have uh, the, what we call um, alap, which is where the musician in a in a non rhythmic sort of ametric a rhythmic way will do this exploration of the the raga that's about to be performed and they tend to be quite soothing when when very when, soothing when you hear it and i'm interested in middle eastern music of various kinds and in middle eastern music of a very similar concept called the taksim which is one of the things that drew me to middle eastern music in the first place so we have this idea of the alap or the taksim being this meditative, slow-moving, um, kind of liquidy kind of music that's happening against a drone, and whatever scale or makam or, or raga we're using has a particular sequence of notes, and each one of those notes has a different uh, emotional and sonic character against the drone because it's very contextual. So when I play this note, which is the, the root note, yeah has a feel to it and then what, what what is the feel what's the feel well it's very stable right because yeah. that's that's home base and and then the equivalent of do re mi yeah. the mi is also very stable the the re less so the least stable is the t so if i go there's me that has to Go with the breath to right like that's the right and you want stability in that room right you want stability but you also want tension and release right, right. I, i'm seeing what you're doing there so so aaron tension and relief release Ex- really i'm sorry tension and release explain to me what that would do for the person who's who's passing well we we don't really know a whole lot about what it's doing for the person who's passing, right? We can only use our we can only extrapolate yeah. from what we know about that family members report that it's very calming. In other medical settings like rehabilitation, 
you know, we can see that this exposure to this type of calming music has a calming effect on people, both mentally and physiologically. We can lower blood pressure. We can, we can see that people who are post-surgical or in palliative care, but in the earlier stages of palliative care will request less narcotics for pain control when they're exposed to music that they like. Yeah, we can measure that. So there's all these measurable things. With, with people who are actively dying, unfortunately, there's no way to uh, ask them after the fact what their experience was like. Yeah. And in palliative care, we there's I, to my knowledge, there's never been a study of having somebody who's receiving this type of care hooked up to a brain scanner or anything like that because they're actively dying and we do the, the least intrusive uh, things possible. So, so we don't know exactly what's going on with the actual dying patient but we do know that in other medical settings this is calming this helps regulate breathing it helps um just with many aspects of comfort and for the for the for the family members there seems to be something about the introduction of this aesthetic object and this aesthetic experience yes into this difficult uh, medicalized situation that's highly charged that makes it easier on even a little bit. My sense is they could probably breathe. They, they can because I'm feeling that right I'm, I'm feeling that right now. Right. So yeah, when I do that, right? And I usually choose some um, something based around the major scale because I found that if I the minor scales tend to be much more uh, evocative, mm -hmm. but potentially kind of too dark for those kind yeah, of play, moments. Play something on a minor scale. Yeah, right, right. Conjures up different images. <laughs> a bit more stressful. Yeah. One of the ones I like to use, though, which is from, from the Indian music tradition, is this idea of, of where you have a major scale. Oh, sorry. Uh, where you have a major scale. But the, the sixth degree of the scale from the minor scale, a flattened six. So, and sometimes what's nice, not necessarily for, for relaxing music, but, but what's nice about that is it's, it's a bit ambiguous. And when you, if you're in an improvisation, if you avoid that flattened six for a while, and then when you avoid the six altogether, and then when you do eventually get to that six, it's very, very evocative. So like this kind of thing. very powerful stuff so let me let me ask you a question have you ever been in a situation where somebody has asked you to play rock and roll <laughs> not in those final final moments no or leading up to but, it but when they're like, like a neil young even oh yeah no when they're when they're when they're in that uh earlier stage of a palliative care process and they're mm -hmm. still be able to sit up in bed and interact with their family uh, yeah, that's a totally different kind of thing because then we're we might be uh, using music to reminisce mm -hmm. and actively talk about aspects of their life and things that were important. And oh, you like Neil Young songs? What's your favorite Neil Young song? Okay, let's see if I know it, or if I don't, I'll pull it up on the phone or the iPad. And right, we'll, right. If I don't know it, we'll 
still have fun trying to like hack our way through it, yeah, you know, right, and, right. and if I do know it all the better. Um, and then, you know, then hopefully if I don't know it, there's time before the next session to do a little homework and actually learn that song for, for that person so that, that it can be a bit more smooth and meaningful for them. And, and that's where people will often find in those difficult, that difficult situation of a palliative care hospital room, still find some remaining uh, joy to be found in, in their life by jamming with their family or, or their music therapist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the things that kind of like that, that really stands out for me, even all these years later is there was, um, I remember there was a, an elderly gentleman who ha had moderate d dementia, moderate Alzheimer's, but he was in the palliative care unit because he had a terminal form of, of cancer. And he, he was uh, a very skilled, uh, semi-professional uh, jazz pianist most of his life. Yes. He, had a, he had a professional day job and many evenings uh, a month or a week, he was out with his buddies playing jazz professionally. Everybody's dream. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, everybody's dream. And uh, he, so, you know, his, his dementia was fairly well set in. He was quite frail. He was in palliative care. But, you know, he was still able to get up out of bed. He was still able to walk around. But but his cognitive impairments were, were significant. Yeah. And... But I was able, because of the resources that are available that, there at Sunnybrook, I was able to arrange for us to temporarily have a uh, full 88-key digital piano in his room. And there were several instances like where... Like my I, sons, right? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. exactly. Where several instances where I got, with the help of the nurses, I got him out of bed, sat him down at the piano, and um, we, would ha we would jam on some jazz standards. Really? And... What was remarkable about that experience was that his, his, his dementia was already progressed to the point where the fact that he could do that was kind of shocking to his family members. Mm -hmm. The fact that that musical ability was still intact was unknown to them. And it was unknown to them because of all these other medical situations that he was in. He had cancer. He was in a palliative care unit. So how would, how would they know that he could still play jazz piano at mm -hmm. a reasonable level of proficiency? So, so we would get him out of bed and he and I would have uh, jazz piano, jazz standards jams. Wow. And what really is powerful about that experience is the, that, that, <coughs> excuse me, that gives, that gave his family the opportunity to once again experience him at a at a level of functioning that wasn't any more normal for him, right? Like it he brought was him of, back. It brought him back, and and that that's a very very typical phenomenon in 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 music therapy, particularly in in dementia care settings, but also in many other clinical settings, where where the music therapist. Um, experiences the the individual in that in that small slice of time that you know the one hour a week that they have a music therapy session 
the music therapist tends to uh, sometimes has a completely different perspective. Wow, that's fascinating. On this person because they're operating with yeah. the music therapist at a much higher level of functioning than what has become normal for them because of their their disease process. That's and like awakenings. It's like an awakening and Oliver Sacks uh, talks about it uh, as a quickening is the term he uses. Um, and there's a great clip you can find on YouTube. Uh, if you've seen the movie Alive Inside, I have you not, seen that. No, oh, you, sh- you should see but that. But I will. <laughs> so there's there's a scene where a, a, a African American uh, man in a long term care center named Henry is um, given an iPod with music that his family knows is music that he would like, and he comes out of, you know. I don't know what to call it, like a, 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 a stupor. He's like, you know, he's deep in the throes of, of dementia. He's barely responsive. And this isn't even live music. This is just now, rec- you know, recorded music on headphones. On his headphones, yeah. And, and he, he, comes, he comes alive. And there's a mm. great um, clip uh, of Oliver Sacks narrating and explaining this sequence, which I'll, I'll, I'll send to you. And he, he calls it a quickening, right? Because... There's something about the way that music hits all those different brain regions yeah. at once, and when someone has a a, a deep, is deeply in the throes of a neurologic condition, it still has the it doesn't work all the time, but it has the potential to just lift them up out of it, even temporarily, so that they can still interact with their environment, um, with their with their family members, and still have meaningful interactions. There's a woman. Uh, By the dem- way, sorry to interject. Yeah, yeah. Oliver Sacks was my mother's cousin. Someone told me that recently. Yeah, yeah. He, my mother's yeah. second husband, Marcus. Your mother's was, second husband, uh, Marcus. Marcus. It was yeah. Oliver Sacks was his first cousin. Oh, so did you know him? Yeah. So my mom says we're having Oliver over for lunch. <laughs> I said Oliver, who? She says Oliver Sacks. I said, Mom, I want to come. You know, and I had lunch with him. And how I'll, come you didn't invite me? You should have. Yeah, me. so I called you. It was busy. <laughs> <laughs> I was in there. You didn't have call waiting, man. I don't know. So I go there and I had lunch with him and you know me, I'm a curious guy. So I asked him a zillion questions, but he is who he is, who he is. This was a rest in peace. Yeah. Just an unbelievably intelligent and accomplished, curious and accomplished human being. Yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. No, he did a lot to change the world for the better. Um, So yeah, he calls it quickening because that's what it does. And I think I'm thinking of a woman who's in a dement- a very advanced state of dementia in a dementia care facility that I near right near here that I that I work in sometimes and when I do live music with her I do Yiddish uh, old Yiddish theater and old Yiddish folk songs with oh, her do you? she responds to yeah and um so yeah. there was a period of time there where I was seeing her fairly regularly and um her her son who lived close by would make a point of timing his visits with her either during or right after I was there because he knew that he could have a much more yeah. meaningful interaction with her during or post music because right. it right. quickened her right like it woke her up out of this you know this fog of of dementia if only if even if only temporarily um but it shows that there the, the person is still in there Right. And, it, uh, uh, and there's not that many other experiences that are still accessible to the, to the person at that stage. How does this make you feel about yourself? Um, 
In terms of what? what I mean, well, Aaron, if I were in a room where I was able to bring someone quicken somebody, yeah, where they came out, and I know what dementia is. Dementia is. We all know what it is. Unfortunately, my mother had it not severely her last year, but she had it, and she would forget things. And I know people would forget who I am. Yeah. And then if you had that ability to bring them out of it, or to some extent, while you were there, because of what you were capable of doing, yeah. I, I'm just assuming that it would make you feel something. It would make you feel very uh, special for those moments. I mean, you must feel so close to that person. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very special thing to be part of and to and to observe and to facilitate. You know, it's um, you're lucky. Yeah, no, I feel very fortunate to have those opportunities. Um, and and it's yeah, it's it's quite a re, it's a remarkable thing. It's a you know I'm very lucky that I I, ha, I took a path that that led me to the knowledge that you can do these things yeah. with that music can do these things. It's amazing, right? Like amazing. music is a very powerful force uh, in in the world. You know, like like and we, you know, unfortunately, it's in in our culture, it's been very very much um, commodified and relegated uh to the realms of entertainment you know where whereas there's examples of uh other cultures where where that's happened where that hasn't happened or that's happened to a lesser degree yeah a lesser a lesser degree um but in in you know european derived western culture as as a whole you know the sort of shamanic possibilities of of music and and shaman, shamanism in general you know have largely been been forgotten you know and we look all over the world we, we can we, we can see that you know almost every culture has some aspect of of that going on and in western culture like like we started the conversation if we go back 2500 years um you know we have we have the roots of of this in the story of David and the ancient Greek philosophers. And Miriam playing the tambourine when Miriam the Jews crossed the over. Yep. Who said music is a world within itself. It's a language we all understand. Mm-hmm. That's Stevie Wonder. Can you play one of those Yiddish songs? That you oh, yeah, yeah. By the sure. way, is that woman still with us? Yeah, yeah. She is. Okay. Thank God. Do you sing as well? Oh, yeah. Okay. But what's interesting is this is, I'm glad you asked that. Because I like, when, I like the, when you get all excited one, over there. One of the techniques <laughs> I use in that setting, no, this, keep in mind, this is, this is not somebody who has, uh, where the symptoms of dementia are simply that they don't remember who you are anymore. We're talking about much more advanced dementia. Of course, dementia starts as a memory impairment, but eventually it's a full global cognitive impairment right where people it's it's much more than just forgetting yeah. right yeah so in the advanced stages you know life is uh, very very minimal very limited but i'm glad you asked if i sing because i do sing but one of the techniques that i do with these familiar songs is i don't introduce them and i begin by playing it instrumentally mm-hmm. without singing because i'm very interested to see to what extent will this person spontaneously remember the words and or the melody to this familiar song without any verbal cues and and they it, to us it's a, it's surprising how often 
they actually do that. Aaron, I used to do services at the Forest Hill Seniors Home mm. down by Young and Eglinton here in yep. Toronto. Yep. And every service I did was about an hour because a mm. lot of people had dementia. And I did. I remember doing a Passover Seder two, three years running. And there was a woman there who had advanced stage of dementia. Um, and every few minutes she'd come up and reintroduce herself to me. Mm-hmm. But somewhere within the Seder, one of the caregivers said, ask that woman, let's say her name was Mrs. Goldstein, mm-hmm. ask Mrs. Goldstein to say the poem that she knows about Passover in Auschwitz. Hmm. And I did. And she would stand up, Mrs. Goldstein would, and for the next probably five minutes, by heart, mm-hmm. say this entire poem about what her Passover Seder was like in Auschwitz. Hmm. And it was incredible to listen to. It was incredible to watch. And then when she was finished, she'd come over, she'd reintroduce herself to me. But for those for those few moments, for those few minutes, she was it was like she had a quickening. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and poetry when was she a survivor? This woman? She was a survivor. Yeah, so you're talking about between the the poem and her experience, you're talking about a very uh, indelible uh, memory, correct, and the part of the brain where that holds those types of autobiographical memories tends to be more resilient than other parts of the brain to to dementia. Mm-hmm. And the and the part of the brain that holds autobiographical musical memories, so the part of the brain that remembers songs that we may have overlearned in childhood, is an extremely uh, resilient. Part like of what? The, Give me an example of, of a song you overlooked. So, so remember, we still have to do that Yiddish song. Um, na, 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 how much I love you. Right, right. Okay, segue into a Yiddish song that you. So played. that kind of thing, but that kind of thing, you know, people, people that can barely speak or remember their name will be able to at least sing the melody to that song if not it's many amazing. the words or and in the case that we were talking about it was songs like Forgot the words, 
Lichtig wie der Stern von Himmel amatune host mein Herz bagelig. Oh, just beautiful. Just beautiful. Now, do you know what you were saying? Not all of it. I did it one time. Uh, I haven't sung that in a while, but Shane uh, Lavona, beautiful like the moon. You're beautiful like the moon. And when you're playing this, what what is she doing? Oh, um, she's quite, she usually will become quite, uh, well, in, in, at the, lately, not much, because now she's quite, quite, quite near the end in this case. But at one time, it would, re- like, the quickening was just so obvious, you know, like, come out of this, like, real sleepy, kind of subdued state, and um, would start clapping her hands, would start you? conducting me, singing along. And the reason I mentioned that that um, I often will start by just playing that instrumental version. It's because I want to see what what's going to happen without verbal language cues. And it's so amazing to see how often a, a, a very familiar song like that, I mean, familiar for this person, um, how often a song like that can uh, elicit a verbal response. Like they'll start uh, humming or singing the melody, la la la. Yes. Or sometimes they'll even start singing the words in some cases. And this is, you know, these are people that are tend to be way, way beyond the point of any kind of conversation. But you dig up the right really old song that, that they learned really well way, way back. Yeah. And it's it's awakening and quickening and activating a different part of the brain and uh, and they have that ability and the ability to have that kind of response to to music the ability to respond to music on some level is typically one of the very very last abilities that oh, is, is it really is lost yeah. as people go through that uh, that process yeah well you are a gift. Oh, thank you. No, you really are. What you what you bring to these individuals is really a gift. And I'm sure that their family members, that's why they want to be there. They see that gift that you're giving them. Yeah, and it's not just me. You give me. them a I sense mean, of life for a moment, at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just me. It's any it's any music therapist who's reasonably right. good at what at what they do. Yeah. Right, right, right. So um, what I, I want to get into another aspect of your therapy in a second. But before we do, and I'm really quite enjoying this, can you play one more Yiddish song that you would play oh, for her? One more Yiddish I'll tell you why, too, because it's reminding me of my mother. Oh, she okay. Just, she she liked this music? She loved, yeah. Okay, let's see if I... Uh, sometimes I use um, cheat sheets to help me with the lyrics. Um, so any... Uh, which I don't have in front of me. So any Yiddish uh, listeners will forgive me for dropped words or mispronounced words. Um... Nemt men a Ay, 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 
Where can we go? Where can we find a little bit, just a little bit yeah. of happiness, a little bit of luck? You're like a Yiddish crooner, you are. <laughs> Thank you. There's Thank real you. Yiddish crooners around. I'm a, I'm a music therapist who knows a couple of Yiddish Wow, that's wonderful. Thank you so can, much. That that's beautiful. When needed. So this woman, she's, she's in her latter stages. Someone who passes away eventually after you spend time with them like this, quality time, you take it home with you? I don't know about take it home, but it affects it, it affects not just me, but you know the, the the everybody who works with them. Yeah, you know because even though it's not the type of uh, you know it's not the type of relationship that their family members have have with them, you know there is a certain you know the, the, those those people that we work with that that really respond like what that respond in such an obvious way like the, this example that i'm telling you because everybody responds and everybody seems to benefit from it but you know some people have much stronger responses some people have um much more obvious responses and and it's satisfying to work with those people and we develop a relationship with them and we feel good about ourselves because we can see that it's having such a such a direct impact it might be affecting somebody else just as much, but in a less visible right. way, right? Do, do you share this stuff with anybody? Uh, do you no. go home and tell anybody, friends, well, what have you? I mean, I have to speak about these things in the really in the vaguest of terms because yeah. of patient uh, privacy and confidentiality and so on. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, I'm I'm interested in sort of spreading the word just about the the power of music like here look look what music can do here's someone you know with advanced dementia we're talking very vaguely right and in a very advanced state of dementia very little response and we can see a very very dramatic effect of 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 music and when that person eventually anyone who we've worked with in that way uh you know when you show up to the facility and they're not there anymore yeah uh there's a little bit of a like an, an emptiness so so like you would see in the movies you actually walk in the room and there there's no one in the bed uh no it's not usually quite that dramatic they'll let you know at the desk yeah like yeah yeah what no, would I, you say i mrs. know mrs goldstein passed away aaron you know yeah usually, uh, usually there's like an email to the team because because uh, because not everybody's working there every day, and yeah, so geez, I feel clamped right now. I, I miss the woman, you know. Do you tell? Do you share this with your kids? Because I know they're musical. They're musical. I, I mean, I they they know they have an idea of what I do, and you know when we and they've had a bit of exposure to some of it. So the one of the places where I do dementia care music therapy. I also used to once every month or once every other month on a on a Sunday afternoon I would go there as a as a musician. Yeah. Not as a music therapist, just as a performer. And sometimes I would take the kids along for that or particularly my son who could play violin. Um and on occasion when they don't have school on a Wednesday afternoon I've taken them with me to the uh to the iBand, the the iPad music group that we were talking about. So great segue. Talking about. By the now. way, would you watch your son when he was there? Would you see what his response was like? 
I know I would do that. Well, we were playing together, so yeah, I was. Oh, so you jam with your son? We would jam, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> so, so let's talk about Ibanth. Firstly, I want to thank you very much for that segment we just did. Okay, yeah, you're no, welcome. Normally, I, I we I wouldn't riff that long on a segment, oh, okay. <laughs> but I am so taken what you by what you just described, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. And what you're part of, I just mm. felt as though the quality of the importance of that is huge. So yeah, I'm, thank I'm, you. I really want to thank you for that. I really do. Oh, thank you. And I, again, it's not just me. It's any music therapist who's you know reasonably competent at what they're doing is going to have similar uh similar experiences well um, yeah that's a gift you are a gift and what you have to offer is a gift and i can only imagine how thankful the family is yeah yeah thank you so like they say in yiddish yishikoach oh thank you yeah which is yeah. way to go oh so here's another really cool piece man yeah, you're cool n- you piece. are not making widgets let me tell you something <laughs> you're you, you're involved in some pretty interesting shit so Here's this thing that you do. It's called the Bliss Eye Band. Yes, the Bliss Eye Band. Let let me just sort of slowly give you an intro here. So the Bliss Eye Band is uh, an environment, right, of which you facilitate uh, with some other people whom we will speak about with individuals who have uh, physical challenges. Yeah, very profound physical challenges. Profound physical challenges. Now, there's a YouTube video that I watched. You sent it to me. And again, I thank you for that. Um, and all you have to do is go on YouTube and do a search on um, bum, 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 the Bliss I Band. Yeah, or Bliss Symbolics I Band. Bliss Symbolics I Band. So do that. And I was watching it. Now, I'm, I'm a pretty emotional guy, so maybe this isn't such a big deal. <laughs> yeah. But the moment I saw you yeah. leading this band, which I had never seen anything like it before, really, I had tears in my eyes. Oh, thank you. And yeah. I did, because again, I'm thinking to myself, Holy crap, man. Look what you're giving these people, right? Yeah. And on top of that, look what you're able to do within your career. Like my heart really breaks, mm. Aaron. It, it, my heart really breaks for people who can't wait to go home at the end of their working day, you know, mm-hmm. or who do not look forward to Monday. Thank God it's Friday. TGIF. What, what, really, what an mm. unfortunate thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I can't imagine for a moment you have those feelings. And I'm sure there's a administrative aspects of it, which can be tough. But by and large, you're doing some really important things for a lot of people. So tell us about this band and what you do. So uh, the Bliss Eye Band is a project I've been involved with for a few years now and quite uh, proud of my involvement and the group's accomplishments. Um, where to start? So my friend, my colleague, Shirley McNaughton, who is, and her her friend, my friend, colleague, Audrey King, mm-hmm. are, are two, uh, two retired uh, professionals who spent most of their career at the Holland Blue Review Center. They worked there, though, at the time when it was called the Ontario Crippled Children's Center. Yeah, so just explain quickly what that is. So that's a, re, a pediatric rehabilitation center for children with um, neurologic problems. So children with cerebral palsy, brain injuries, um, that sort of thing. Yes. Go to school there. In some cases, they live there. They do all kinds of therapies there. And uh, Shirley and Audrey spent uh, their careers there. And Shirley, in many ways, you could say she's really dedicated her life to the advocacy and and, and betterment of lives of, of people who have profound uh, cerebral palsy, profound physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, around 2014, she had this idea based on her experience as a Carl Orff music teacher. Carl Orff music is a very particular approach to, to early childhood music education, which uh, is a 
known to really help and accelerate child development and so on. She's she's trained in that and quite passionate about that. She had the idea that she could apply those principles uh, to bringing group music making to this uh, group of adults that she's known for many, many years uh, through her work, um, but just through her life, uh, that she could apply those principles and get them to make music, which with this, uh, you know, relatively new at the time technology yes. that we now know of as the iPad and the all these, iPad. the iPad and all these virtual instruments that it has. Cause we're talking about people that have such profound uh, physical disabilities that in most cases it would be very difficult for them to even just hold a conventional musical instrument, let alone play it. But with the iPad interface, we can put virtual instruments on their touchscreen, set up the touchscreen in a appropriate position uh, in front of them and get them playing music in, in some way or another. Aaron, Samantha, who was in your band, yeah, yeah. was triggering buttons on her headrest which subsequently triggered buttons on her iPad. Correct. So she would move her head. In that little short improvisation that you see in the video, and that was, I believe that video was shot during Samantha's very first uh, attendance at our at our session. So we were just really just finding our way. And I was trying to engage her in a musical interaction. So I was improv- improvising guitar music, and she could trigger buttons um in her head rest that were connected to buttons in her ipad that were then triggering uh virtualized instrument sounds and we were having yeah. a, a a jam session now she's been coming for a couple of years and her her participation has changed quite a bit uh she, her mother assists her in more or less with a hand over hand way and she really enjoys playing um the piano equivalent of rhythm guitar you know where you just you're playing the chords you're holding it down and you got the you got the chords you got the lyrics you're listening to the the, the lyrics and you're changing chords at the at the right time yeah and being like you know sort of the main accompanist for for the band uh that's that's one of the roles that can that you imagine she likes how her mom feels yeah and she describes that in the in the in the video like your children's happiness is everything right if yeah. your children's not happy you're not happy Right. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, her daughter Samantha is like gigging. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking done, awesome. We've done some gigs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I heard you playing some blues. <laughs> you heard us play blues at uh, in that video at the Breaking the Ice conference. Yeah. Which is we've part, the band has participated now in a couple of different uh, conferences of that sort. Breaking the Ice is a local conference for uh, AAC, assistive and augmentative communication, which is a whole other field unto itself, which is very interesting. But, you know, when you see people, uh, the most iconic one would be Stephen Hawking. People are familiar, you know, assistive and augmentative communication, a voice synthesizer device that a a person who's lost or never had the ability to speak uh, can use to articulate themselves. Um, I would argue, and the reason we were in those conferences uh, is, is that is using a virtual instrument on an iPad is a form of assistive and augmentative communication because we're making musical communication accessible to a, a group of people who wouldn't otherwise have access to that form of communication by virtue of the physical challenges that they that they have. Now, are any of your band members, I'll call them band members. Yeah, that's what they are. Are, 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 are any of them like sort of superstar uh, rockers? Like, are you amazed at what they can accomplish? And I saw one of them was using 
almost it looked like a pen. Yeah, like a stylus. Some like of them a use, right, Some of them right. use a stylus to to trigger the iPads. Some of them use their bare hands uh, because some of them have very limited, uh, very limited control over the fine motor skills. Uh, of, of their hand, this the stylus holding gripping a stylus allows them to be a little more uh, precise than they than they would otherwise be able to. But even even the stylus controlling the stylus can be very uh, very difficult for somebody yeah, with yeah. Um, with uh, with that kind of a neurologic um, situation. And so what we what we found though, and what it appeared, I mean, we haven't tested this empirically, but it it seems as though because they use the iPad for so many things, they all have an iPad, or most of them have an iPad. They have a great familiarity uh, with it. They have it. a familiarity with it, but they use it for all kinds of things. Yes. Right? Um, but but mu- the, but playing music on it requires a little, maybe a little more uh, precision than, than other things that they do with it. And thereby, it seems as though by engaging actively in music and practicing and learning how to play on it, potentially is making them more proficient with the device in general um, and for other stuff for other stuff. Yeah. So, 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 like, you're, so let's say you're playing coming a- for music, but there might be some important, uh, we would argue that there's some important non-musical benefits to their participation. We see, we see much more active uh, interaction and socialization and mm-hmm. bet- bet- between them, we see this, potential increase in in physical proficiency so let's say you're you're playing a blues song yeah yeah just play a little bit of blues there okay you're playing a blues song yeah yeah Yeah. and then samantha or one of the other people yeah who are in your band yep you have to teach them some notes chords as well depends if they want to sometimes they might want to play the chord changes with me Okay. And Shirley, who founded the group, certainly likes to her. She's really focusing her energies on being able to play virtual bass. So I'm showing her. Okay, well, here's how you play a blues bass line. Mm, Mama cooked a chicken. So how do you teach the people to play their iPad? So I'm teaching them to use their innate musical intuition Uh and self-expression to to guide their the movements that they're capable of making towards uh, some form of musical expression that doesn't rely heavily on 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 a, any kind of deep technical knowledge of of music and what i mean by that so for example the ipad interface if i put it if i set it to a a keyboard a ham it's got a great hammond organ sound it's got a great fender road sound so i like to use those a lot mm-hmm. so once I've set it to be a virtual keyboard, I can then set it to be a, a regular keyboard, or I can set it to be only show the notes of the minor pentatonic scale or the minor blues scale or right. a major pentatonic scale. So if I set them up for um an, for a major pentatonic scale, and I'm playing up, and it's in the key of G, so blues and G, and they've got them the minor blue scale and I'm doing something like this almost every note they play is going to sound good and the ones that don't will sound good when they just get off of them really quickly and on to the next note I got it so yeah. so now they're using their innate musicality not like a technical knowledge of music they're they're able to sort of make musical phrases by what's what's the melodic 
shape and melodic arc? Are we going up? Are we going down? Are we taking a breath? Are we taking a pause? Are we are we playing a lot of fast notes? Are we playing? Are we are we doing like um like a BB King? With, <laughs> we just play one right. note and it makes you cry. I've right? been blue too long. <laughs> right where you. You know that that kind of thing. You know? So one of the one of the uh, members of the band, as I was told in in the video, yeah, actually one one day went off with I guess the person who helps them, yeah, and they parent, were yeah. th- they were playing somewhere uh, by themselves. <laughs> yeah, that blew they us away. They were soloists. Yeah, we and we didn't know that that was going to happen. And then when we found out about it after the fact, we were we were kind of blown away. Oh, you uh, must have been. He he um he went out with his dad to uh, a mall. And around Christmas time, wow. and we that at that time awesome. we don't do this much anymore. But at that time we were exploring an app uh, called Holiday Bells, which is a virtual uh, handbell choir. Like if you're familiar with the handbells that are played in a lot of churches, right. you know, where each person rings a different bell and you make melodies by coordinating your mm-hmm. actions. Mm-hmm. We were experimenting with that, so I would conduct them by pointing. Okay, you, you know, you play, dun, dun, ding, dun, dun, you know, by just my conducting and pointing, we create melodies and yeah it was kind of neat um it took a lot a lot of practice to get it all coordinated and i think we learned from that that it was it was kind of a neat thing to explore but i think at the end of the day they they rather just jam on on folk rock and pop rock and rock songs but in any case we were exploring that app and it has the option of setting itself up to be one note, like as if you were a handbell guy yes. play, or a handbell musician playing one bell, or having the full range of bells. And it has a function where it kind of, if you want to play like a Christmas song, it'll cue you what's the next note, and you you go trigger it, and and yeah, he just set it he set it up and he went and performed in this uh, yeah, so cool, public man. space on his own, like, you know, <laughs> and the fact that he had the desire motivation con- sorry con- confidence uh to do that was quite was quite remarkable well you're giving people a sense of freedom aren't you yeah and you're giving people access to um an experience that as you know is is very very important to a lot of people you know it's not just uh it's not just professional musicians who value their relationship with with music i, I know i know you long enough that i don't i don't need to explain that to you right. uh but Sometimes um, a, a significant disability or life situation uh, makes that relatively inaccessible, right? It's the same as when 20 years ago when you set when you helped me set up the music therapy program at Nami Res, right? You know, the, the IBAM people have a very significant physical disability that makes access to this type of experience very challenging for yes, them. Yes. People who are living on the street, they don't have a, a disability per se necessarily, but you know, they're living on the street, they're homeless, they're living in a shelter. Their their relationship with music might be very important to them, but that that circumstance that they're that they're in makes it very inaccessible. And that's why we were that's why we were bringing it. Listen, we all know what it, we all know what it's like to be locked up inside in one way or another. Yeah, we all have our own form of invisibility. Um, but I'm gonna guess when you're living that life in a wheelchair and you're not communicative, um, you must feel very, very invisible very often. And all of a sudden, you have this instrument in front of you, and you're the musician, mm-hmm. and you're the one who is composing 
the notes and the Coding, sound. improvising, making sound. Yeah. Yes, yes. That Having is, that social experience. You know, it's like just to get together with a group of friends and just have a jam session. Right. That's basically the experience that we're trying to make accessible to this group of people. Right. So we have a uh, we have a few minutes left. I do want to touch on uh, Jaffa Road. Yeah, and the Room Two Seventeen thing, <laughs> which is kind of an important thing. Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just play just play a minute or two of. Uh, Sorry, what key? What key is that harmonica? This harmonica is an E, I believe. E. So you want me to play? Uh, that's an E. So you want me to play in B? Yeah. It's three up, right? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna give we're gonna give Jaffa Road a couple of minutes, even though it could be a whole show unto itself. Oh yeah, you were the founder of Jaffa Road. You guys have done, I think, six CDs. No, no, no. We've done uh, two CDs. Uh, the number six jumped into your mind because I'm currently making a collection oh, of six oh. CDs for the Room 217 Foundation, which we'll talk about after. Okay, after so Jaffa let's, Road let's talk about Jaffa Road for a yeah. second. Um, under your leadership, you've you've toured uh, widely in North America. It's a really f- funky-ass band because yeah. essentially you rely upon fusion. Yeah. So you would pull together Arabic sounds with Hebrew or Israeli sounds with rock and roll, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And you would create music which is really quite refreshing and one doesn't hear too often right yeah thank you yeah Yeah, no it's beautiful and we're currently working on album number three we were we had a week in the studio together a week two weeks ago where we mostly nailed down the compositions and arrangements mostly and recorded uh most of the drums and some other stuff and we're going to be just sort of picking away at it and plucking away at it as over the next few weeks and months. Yeah. And you, you, you have, uh, you'll include, uh, uh, Indian sounds, uh, Ladino sounds. Uh, interestingly, you've been nominated for two Juno awards. We have, we're very lucky. Both of our previous albums were contenders for Juno awards. Yeah, how did that were, feel? Were, oh, that was fun. That was, that must be nice. It was very affirming to have, you know, that kind of recognition for, you know, this type of experimental, this kind of experiment, this kind of experimental music. And it was super fun just to be at that party. Uh, that's probably one of the best parties in Canada is, is going to the Juno Awards. And you were at the awards. You were at the awards themselves. Oh, yeah. 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 So was yeah. the camera on you when they were announcing the winner? Uh, of my category? No. So so they have what, what they call the craft categories, like world music and jazz and uh, classical music. Uh, there's a whole whack of those categories, and those are, in my opinion, probably the more interesting categories. Right. Though there's like a big party slash dinner the night before the broadcast, where those, um, those where those awards are given out, and then the the big event, the broadcast, let's you know the national televised event, has relatively few 
categories, but that's, you know, we're best album, best song, songwriter of the year. Yeah. You know, those, those really big awards get, uh, get divvied out along yes. with, you know, performances by A-list Canadian bands and artists. Well, wow, this is very exciting. And you'll have uh, visitors who come out. Yeah. So currently there's four members in the band. Um, we've got, um, you know, our, uh, we, our longtime lead, lead singer, uh, Aviva, uh, amicably, uh, left the band and um we're but we're still working with her she's going to sing a couple tracks and we've got some other singers stepping in um to sing as well that i'm quite uh, excited to to work with and um the four of the four instrumentalists the rakesh tuari the drummer sundar viswanathan the saxophone player and bensuri player and also great singer and justin gray the bass player um we were all in the studio together um uh, sort of under under Justin as the main sort of engineer and producer, all sort of co-producing each other's ideas and uh, and performances and and making some music that that will be out. I'm not sure exactly when, but I'm quite excited about. And uh, yeah, what's really cool is we had a guest on. Uh, it was a few months ago now. Aaron Benchushan. Yes, and yeah, he yeah. he played on one of he your sang CDs. on both of our previous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did records. he teach you how to play the oud? Uh, he was the first, he gave me my first couple of lessons and my introduction to the, uh, to the oud. That's a whole crazy story. I don't know if you want to get into it, but it's, it's, kind of <laughs> it's a good one. Is it? You know, that means we'll have you back. <laughs> we got to have you back now. People want to hear the story, right? Now, Aaron's a very talented man. Aaron's a great, uh, fantastic musician and a uh, friend for now, for ma- many years. I can't believe it's been many years, but the short version of the story is, uh, we met by chance very, very shortly after uh, after he moved to Toronto from uh, from New York to be a cousin here. Uh, I was, again, keep trying to keep this story short. I was invited to a party at his house. We met. I'd already had this uh, motivation to find an, an oud teacher. And then I surreptitiously met Aaron. And, uh, you know, the beginning of our relationship was trading uh, guitar lessons for, for oud lessons. Oh, yeah. And that was that was the beginning of my my journey as a as an oud player. Yeah, and he's a, he's a great musician, a great oud player, great singer. He played, as you know, he, yeah, he played on the show. He was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, he's, just he's, wonderful. He's amazing. Very talented human being. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us about uh, Room Two Seventeen. So Room Two Seventeen is a really uh, great and interesting organization that I'm really thrilled to be working a lot with uh, this year. They're all about um, bringing more awareness and more actuality to music in care settings. So it's, it involves music therapy, but it's, but it's broader than music therapy. They've got this whole framework where they put together music care conferences, looking at bringing professionals from different disciplines together to look at how can there be more music in healthcare settings? I'm going to be speaking at their conference in Hamilton in November. Um, and they do trainings for, uh, you know, they do, they have a three day music care training course for caregivers to how to use more music more effectively in their practice and so on. They've got a collection of 12 CDs out on the market, which are specifically designed to be calming recorded music for palliative care situations. Um, and they've uh, hired me and uh, and Justin from Jaffa Road yes. to compose and project manage and produce a new collection of of six new albums, which will be much much more 
uh, reflective of the cultural diversity that exists in the Canadian hospice care uh, scene compared to what their existing collection targets. So in each of the six albums, we're sort of trying to find what what are the universally soothing sounds and musical concepts in a very large uh, geographic chunk of the world that contains mm-hmm. many, many different cultures, each one of them. So it's a, it's a very challenging project to conceptualize. But we work with expert musicians from from each of those regions to realize uh, the music um, in this new collection. And we've wow. been writing and recording and producing music almost nonstop for this since uh, since November. We're, we're nearing the end of production of the third of the six. Wait, what are the first three? So the first one's largely based on the music of... of different cultures of India and collaboration with, with musicians who represent different cultures of India. Yes. Second one is based similar concept, but with the middle East third okay. one is, uh, Africa. The one we're about to embark on is, uh, various musical cultures of South America. And, uh, the fifth one will be the far East and the sixth one will be indigenous, uh, North America. Uh, you, you you must just adore your work, don't you? Well, that yeah, this is a pretty cool gig. <laughs> so everything you do is a cool gig. Yeah, um, this one gets to unleash a little bit, even more, uh, I guess, creativity wow. and get to spend time. It's really fun. I mean, it's really really great to spend time, a lot of time, in recording studios with really great musicians uh, and learning from them producing them, uh, writing with them and for them. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite exciting. And I, I knew you when you were a little dopey kid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so listen, so I, to speak. I, I want to, I want to, I want to wrap this up here. It's good. You're coughing. Yeah, so yeah. you can't respond. Um, what I want, what I want people to take out of hot radio yeah. is an understanding of a few things. Number one is that we have to come together as a people. We, we have to listen to one another. We have to understand people. So a lot of times I'll talk about people's differences, you know, or the, the the need for unity in our world and so on. The other thing I think that I would very much like people to take out of Hat Radio is the idea that we need to pursue our own personal passion towards the betterment of ourselves as a human being, as an individual, but also to, towards the strengthening of the world. You know, people are generally much happier when they recognize what their gift is, their internal gift, mm. and they pursue it and they build upon it. And I believe with all my heart, Aaron, that what people are going to take out of this show is your passion and your great love of what you do, and even more so what you accomplish through it. Um, that is certainly what I'm taking out of it. Like, I, as soon as the show is over, I have a meeting to go to, and then I'm signing up for, you know, to be a music therapist. <laughs> like, tomorrow morning, I'm going to George Brown or well, whatever. Well, you should come. You can visit IBAN tomorrow. Yeah, if I'm your just, schedule I'm, I'm, allows for it, you should join like, us. Like, I'm absolutely blown away by what you do. So many people who are into music, they'll be in a band, and that'll either work out or it wasn't. It's, very, it's a tough gig just to be in a band. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know you're always working to get grants and things like that. But you've taken it a step further where you went to university and you studied how to be a therapist. So you're working with individuals who can benefit greatly, greatly from what your wares are, for what your skills are. So to you, I say accolades. Well done, my friend. Oh, thank you. I am deeply proud of you. Oh, thanks. Nice to hear. Oh, yes. I've known you a long time. I've uh, known you a long time. You've been a... 
you've been a, a mentor at times and thank you. Uh, and thank you. you know the what uh, you you know what you've what you've built in this in this town is so is pretty special so hearing it's great to hear that from oh well, I thank you for that yeah, yeah that means a lot to me as well so we've seen each other we've watched each other develop our yes, careers have, yeah and that's really nice too we're sort and of our like, passions I love your I'm in your apartment filled with your it's my studio man amazing paintings which I don't think you did when we first met probably not no i no, don't think no. so i like to call it a, my studio yeah no it's great you got some you <laughs> thank gotta, you. you gotta let the world see this stuff it's so good, what i would what, what i would ask our listeners to do is listen closely to the show share it with others uh really think to yourself man what has this guy aaron lightstone done with his life how did he get there look who he benefits and look what i have the potential to do because we all do, man. We all have we all have the ability to pursue our gifts, don't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, most people. Some people, unfortunately, have real tough lives and they can't. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other story. That is another I mean, story. There are bar- real barriers that some people do uh, yeah, face. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, but there's always there's always potential to reframe, you know, and and do something a little different. Yeah. And and do that really. Consider very strongly who you are, what you're very, very good at, and just dive right in. Like this show right here, it's um, my passion, you know. Yeah, no, you've been and you've been broadcasting for a while now. So yeah, it's great for to see you back at it. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, it's bloody hard. It's not easy. Like, oh, it, yeah. It I takes know. a lot of work. It takes a lot of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of patience. And you know, like in the beginning, and the bidding could take a few years. You're just not making any money out of it, right? Right. So you have to be patient. You have to believe in yourself. So yeah, yeah, but you're onto something here. This, I hope this, so. Yeah, I hope so. This could be good. So to all of our listeners, thank you so much uh, for listening and for being part of it. You can now go to hatradio.ca. We added a subscription page. Oh, good. or a donor page. So if you like what I do and you want to give me some of your money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, dude. <laughs> you know, it'll help pay for a few things, right? Well, you should tell people what what is it actually what does it pay for? You got to give them concrete right, uh, so social media. Like it costs money to do this yeah, kind does, of thing, but you know, like social media costs money. Yeah. Um and and that sort of stuff. So I mean, you can't just record this and throw it out there. Th- you cannot. You cannot do no, that. No. People need and to know that. Pretty it good costs too. money to yes. clean it up. Make it professional sounding so that when people turn it on, it sounds good and they'll be like, oh, okay, I can listen to this. You're really good at this, by the yeah, way. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you should be like my, my manager. <laughs> no, you're great at it. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. And uh, there's a commercial that you'll hear at the end of this. I, I'm also a speech writer, by the way. I know that. And, yeah. and I'm a speech uh, coach. Can I give you, can I just give a pitch for yeah, that? Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. Well, two, two things. Um in uh, reverse chronological order. So I, I recently attended your son's uh, bar mitzvah, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. and uh, it was a very special uh, event. And, you know, I know that you 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 spoke off the cuff, I'm to, I was told after. It was, it was a beautiful speech. It sounded very, uh, very prepared, you know, very articulate. If you're looking for a speech writer, you know, definitely consider... Uh, Thank you. Definitely consider Avram. I'll also say that when I... When, um, when I got married uh, many years ago now, yeah, Avram Rosenzweig was the only person who who came up to me and said, "I really want to give a speech at your wedding." <laughs> no, I told you, I told you, I'll come to your wedding, but you gotta let me speak, right? That's what I used to tell you. <laughs> yeah, 
And uh, again, it was yeah, it was very, it was a very. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to talk about, but it was a, <laughs> it was a very, uh, a very beautiful and flattering uh, speech. But I'll, I'll just say that uh, that yeah, you do clearly have some skills in that in that area that that other people Thank can uh, could benefit from if they need some assistance or some coaching or Thank you. ghost writing or yeah, whatever writing, the, whatever yeah. the case may be. All right, yeah. so if people want to see Jaffa Road or any of your Jaffa stuff, Uh not actively performing right now because we're working on on the on the recording project. But we will be once that's uh, in the can. Jafferroad.com, musictherapytoronto.com, blissiband.com for uh, room217.ca. Our, our links to anything, uh, several other things that we've talked about today. Damn, you're busy. Yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for yeah, listening. Great to be here. This has been episode 26 with Aaron Lightstone. Thank you for being with us. Um, it's called Hat Radio, and it's Hot the radio. it's the show that schmoozes. We had a good schmooze. Yeah, we did have a good schmooze. Yeah, yeah. and God bless. <laughs>